Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back our special guest, Ken Urell, co-author of Betrayal in Blue and Once Upon a Time, New York's second most corrupt cop. Thank you, guys. I'm happy to be here for you. I'm glad you're still around. Now, when did it occur to you with a flash of brilliance because that you have this wonderful, bankable, unfortunate reputation of being an expert on police corruption because you lived it in your younger days to do a, uh, a YouTube a TV sh- uh, show, more or less, where you interview other corrupt cops, <laughs> which I thought was a brilliant idea. This all started years back, probably back in the late 90s when the Internet was first becoming popular. I made a website. I started collecting, you know, I put my own story up there, a brief version of it, which led to the documentary in our book, uh, Betrayal in Blue, the shocking memoir that rocked the NYPD. And I started collecting other police corruption stories. So after our first book came out, I started playing with the idea of writing a second book for, uh, you know, just a complete collection of, of corrupt stories over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And they keep coming out every week, too. Oh, yeah, I know. You can't stop them. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I contacted a, a co-author who has many projects going on. Right? Yeah. I can't imagine who that would be. <laughs> Could be our close personal friend, Frank C. Gerardo Jr. Exactly. And we, we started working on a second book, and it, it sort of got sidetracked because he has so many projects going on. So I, I figured, why not start a YouTube channel? So I started the YouTube channel, and basically it's a collection of corrupt cop stories that have gone on through the country, present and past. And I also do a Q&A section at the end. Anyone writes in about the 7-5 documentary or, or our book, I answer those questions at the end. Do you get rude questions like, why are you such an ass and stuff like that? <laughs> there are many mean mean comments and tweets, yes. Yes. I've, I had a great one once. One of the first radio interviews I ever did one of the questions was, why don't you just admit you're in league with the devil and get it over with? <laughs> I might just make one YouTube video and read everybody's mean tweets and comments. <laughs> so uh, can you tell us about some of the other people who've been on your show and what their crimes of, of corruption were. Okay, what's the first one that pops into your head? The first uh, gentleman I interviewed was, uh, he was a Boston cop. And this is going back probably I don't know, 20 episodes ago. He was the first first interview I did. He was actually introduced to corruption, and he turned it down. So uh, what happened was he was a Boston cop, and he was out on patrol. He pulled over a gentleman for uh, traffic violations. And when he was going up to uh, collect his license and insurance and registration and all that good stuff, he offered him a $500 bribe. Oh. And as as a good cop at the time, and this is going back to the 80s, he brought him in for a bribery arrest. So he goes in for the bribery arrest, and when he gets into the precinct, his desk sergeant looks at him and sends him, before he gets to process the arrest, he sends him back out on patrol to check some noise complaint. So he comes back from the noise complaint, his bribery arrest is gone. The so it's the 500 bucks. <laughs> Everything is gone. The death sergeant apparently let it, let it, everything go, and uh, the money disappeared. I don't know if the death sergeant kept it. He didn't know if the death sergeant kept it, but his arrest was gone. It was uh, it was completely let it's go. Evaporated. He yeah. Up, 
he took he took it a step further. He went to Internal Affairs and told Internal Affairs what happened because he's now trying to protect himself. And in turn, the Internal Affairs supervisor said to him, "You're not a real Boston cop if you can't take a bribe." Oh, that should be printed on the side of the cars. <laughs> So at, at, at that point, like I have said in the past, when you're suspected of, you know, talking out against other cops, becoming a rat, a snitch, or anything like that, all the bad things that we talked about started happening to him. He flat tires on his car, everybody's fucking up with his locker, nobody would talk to him. He was completely ostracized. Whoa. So what he did was he transferred himself to a smaller department, and of course his reputation followed him. He was completely isolated there, and he went to Midnight's, and he worked Midnight's for 20 years, studied up to become a lawyer, and he's now a defense lawyer. Good for him. That's a great yeah, story. So he, he made the best of it. I mean, he had a rough time in his career for 20 years, you know, working completely isolated for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, that's like a jail sentence almost. Yeah. So... All because he wanted to do the right thing. So that tells you why, you know, cops come to that crossroads at a time like I did when the money was put in my hand. You don't know what to do, really. Yeah, the same thing happens in, of all things, real estate. Uh, the guy who started the Desert Lifeline here in California, which is the great firefighter thing for the, you know, and search, and search and rescue, he was working in a real sure. estate company, and he does a deal, and someone delivers a paper bag with about 10 grand in it. And he doesn't know what to, what to do. <laughs> what the hell is this? He takes it to his supervisor and the supervisor on his way out of the office puts about 25% of it on his desk. Yeah. Kickbacks, you know. Yeah, and, that's like the uh, the old school in the 60s and 70s. The roll call officer had an open, uh, open drawer policy. He, you To get a special foot post where you could collect money from shopkeepers and things like that, you go to roll call, and he his was basically he left his drawer open for you to drop money in there, so he would give you that particular foot post or sector where you could collect more money from the public. Yeah, there was one of the it's in it's in our book. One of the uh, chiefs of police going back a long time, you know, back the early 1900s or whatever, said if you can't make money from payoffs on the street, you don't deserve to be in the NYPD. Yeah. And he said, they got mad about it. One other guy got mad. Said, if anyone's going to get payoffs around here, it's going to be me. <laughs> so, it was definitely a culture that, that you know, that, uh... Well, it reminds me of, uh... And, and go ahead. It went along for many years. And then, uh, you know, every time I think it's going to stop with, the, you know, body cams and, and dash cams, and, and now everybody has a cell phone, it just, it still doesn't stop. You just had... In Columbus, Ohio, this past week, two officers were arrested for grabbing six six kilos of fentanyl. Ooh. So, yeah, that's going to be my next uh, episode on YouTube. I'll be talking about that one. Boy, that's enough to kill everybody in that town, practically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the tragic thing about fentanyl, because for people who need it, it's an excellent medication. It comes in a patch for chronic pain sufferers. It gradually releases this opioid into their system's for cancer patients, for people who have been horrifying accidents where they're just in excruciating pain, it's a wonderful medical achievement. But to open up the, the, the patch and take the stuff out, you're going to be dead in a hurry. 
Oh yeah, it only t- takes a little, a little bit, a couple of little, little, little grains of it, and you could OD on that. So yeah, it, it's very, very strong narcotic. Didn't they just uh, bust a huge uh, drug ring here in California, where they had uh, they had uh, synthetic uh, synthetic opioid that two milligrams would kill ten people? Oh, that's wonderful. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, they had the synthetic uh, opioid. And the other group had the uh, the cocaine. The thing is, the stupid thing is, is they'll put the uh, fentanyl in cocaine, which is yeah. insane. That's what they were well, doing. They'll yep. put it in, in speed. And also, also heroin. They, they're cutting everything with fentanyl now. Well, that's where they can kill more people. It doesn't sound like they're our friends. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, if I were a dealer, the last thing I'd do is kill my, my customers. Exactly. That was a, another story I had. It was a it was a Long Island Suffolk County cop in New York, and he was uh, selling oxycontins. He was getting them from one gentleman who was cutting it with fentanyl. And this cop who is dealing this on the side didn't know it, and one of his customers OD'd on it. And they backtracked. You know how this guy got the oxy that was cut with fentanyl. They found the cop. They found the dealer. Not only is he arrested for drug dealing, he's arrested for you know uh, manslaughter. Yeah. So. I watched the uh, TV show on the autopsy of uh, Tom Petty. And that's what killed him. Uh, he was taking, you know, he had a horrible uh, hip injury or whatever, and a lot of pain. And uh, he got what he thought was an oxycodone or oxycodone from a friend of his, but it was counterfeit. Yep. And uh, it wasn't real. It was fed five different kinds of fentanyl in a pill. And uh, that's what killed him. So the moral of the story is. Get your drugs from an authorized pharmacist. Uh, yeah. Get legit. Yeah, too legit to quit. <laughs> so, Earl, what? do you remember the guest we had? I think it was Chili Pimpin in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, that's Michael Gordine, the third most corrupt cop in the NYPD. Well, his, <laughs> uh, his story is slightly different than the, what I'm hearing as, as, in air quotes, normal. He joined the NYPD, or the... The microphone. Talk to the microphone. What was the uh, New Jersey? He joined the police specifically to enhance his corrupt. criminal empire. Well, he didn't have much of an empire, which is a chili pippin in Atlantic City. But he wanted to. That, that was the thing: is he had an uncle or something who was a cop who was bragging about all the great stuff he got during the uh, riots, <laughs> and so he became a cop so he could be corrupt. Uh, exactly. Well, yeah, he was. He was already in, in that criminal field, so he says, well, why not enhance it by joining the NYPD? That's right. right. It's a step up yeah. in the criminal <laughs> criminal world. Got a big gang here. You know, as it's, it's, uh, Lee Goldberg, my nephew, pointed out uh, in one of these uh, movies where you got a super criminal organization that's super secret, and they have a logo, and they have it on the side of their cars, <laughs> and on their planes, the secret organization. <laughs> He has branded items. We we don't do that <laughs> in chaos. Uh, that's kind of like the NYPD is the branded gang. But, you know, just like the NYPD or the LAPD, you do have some really great cops. I have encountered some wonderful cops. I mean, really serve, protect, self-sacrificial, honest as can be. And it drives them crazy that they've got all these other guys working with them that they know are crooked as can be. Yeah, 99% of the cops out there are, you know, are, are totally legit, do the right thing, you know. Unfortunately, there's a, there's a lot of ways to uh, 
let that greed seep in. And once 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 that greed takes over, you know, you're completely lost. So. What amazed me is that in your particular situation, uh, your superiors uh, knew what was going on, but they let it slide because they didn't want another scandal. Exactly right. Now, there was a scandal a couple of months prior, and uh, they were aware of what was going on in my precinct, and instead of shutting it down, they broke everybody up, and it basically spread the corruption. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, operating on cancer cells, you know? Yep. Spreads them around. What other cool things have you had on your program? Must come to mind, you've done so many of them. Who have you had recently? As far as the corrupt cops, I, I, it's like really hard to get cops. They ain't watching. Come on and tell us how bad you are. Speak <laughs> about their story. Yeah, they uh, they don't they don't they don't like to come on and tell their own story. So I'm I'm the one, I'm go out there and I'm discussing the story on on my you know and giving my opinion on it. That was uh, the other officer I had on was a New Jersey state state trooper and. Um, he wasn't corrupt. He had nothing with corruption. He was more or less talking about the morale of the job and and how uh, how it's down. You know, ever since uh, the defund the police came out and things like that. And then we talked about uh, the current story of that day when he came on that week was uh, there were correction officers who were having sex with inmates. Oh yeah, about we that. had that here too. Had that here. Hey, at, hey, uh, hey, Burrow, yeah. You promised that you would never. Disclose. Did I never disclose that about yeah, you? It's about okay. <laughs> But that was with these is the uh, this girl got pregnant in the slammer. Yeah, how that? Yeah, how that immaculate conception, Joe Immaculate from precinct number whatever was poking her, and uh, that wasn't unusual. Unfortunately, became a bit of a scandal. But she wasn't the first or the only. They had the same problem in mental institutions at Medical Lake, which is sounds really healthy. A medical yeah, the, orderlies, the orderlies will grab the uh, patients and, you know. Yeah, they call that bush therapy. against their will. Yeah, there was a big scandal on that, too. But these scandals come and go and everyone forgets about it. And then yeah. it well, just... another, a new one comes along and takes its place. That's why. Yeah. So what, of... what actually I have is sort of a disturbing trend. I've, I've got almost 30 YouTube videos right now. And almost every week is more and more stories of cops having sex with underage minors, which is, like, really disturbing. Yeah, those underage minors are the worst kind. Well, I mean, uh, you know, like, well yeah. I saw that in The Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. Well, wasn't, exactly. that, uh, wasn't that part of the Onion field? I didn't see no, the or, No, that was another Wamba book where they were, uh, where the, the um, Explorer Scout... Well, Captain Spook. Yeah, we're ready for Captain Spaulding, the African Explorer. I'm trying to remember which one. One who shot an elephant in his pajamas? That was, was that like running rampant, or was it just like one cop doing it, or was it a big deal? No, it's, not, it's like every week there's another story of another cop with another, with an under, underage girl. I, I, I stopped telling the stories because there's so many of them. One wow. Guy was, was, one guy was way out of he's got He got like a... A hundred years sentence. I mean, they. Whoa! <laughs> got, uh, Did he get a year off for good behavior? So he had to do ninety nine. Oh, he he was. Uh, what happened was they they caught him with um, on the computer at the precinct. 
with recent computer, they found um, disturbing images, child porn, pornography, things like that, and they traced it back to him. So they serve a warrant on his home. They grab his laptop, his you know his desktop, his cell phones, all that stuff. He had over 200 child porn photos and videos on his laptop, and he had a video of himself having sex with a small dog. Oh my God! The SPCA so was on his ass for that. Slammed, they slammed him for, with a hundred years. Oh no, kidding! He'll, he'll never see daylight again. Wow, that's severe. Hey, remember the one in uh, Philadelphia where they had to overturn a thousand convictions? They had these five cops who were advancing their career by planting evidence on people, and uh, they got popped. This is several years ago. Uh, some guy, like a state senator or something, uh, stopped and asked these cops for directions because he was lost, and they they grabbed him, threw him across the hood of the car. Tried to plant evidence on him, and it was the wrong guy because he raised hell. And one of the guys uh, of the five had had enough, and he confessed and told the whole story that these guys had been working together for five years, uh, framing people for crimes to advance their careers. They had to let over a thousand people. Out. There's, there's, there's just so many stories to tell. There was, it's been there's multiple stories I've done of. Cops planting planting evidence to make an arrest, things like that. Which is as as corrupt as I was, I can't understand ever doing that. I mean, why this this you could, especially back in my time in the eighties in the seven five precinct in Brooklyn, you could blink your eyes and you make a legitimate arrest. There was always an arrest to be made. This last story I did was uh, a Florida sheriff deputy, and he was taking drugs, pulling over people, taking drugs, and then saying he found it in their car and going back and arresting them. So he had done it to multiple, multiple people. And finally, I guess it was just had internal affairs had suspected him because they were investigating him. And there was a woman who finally, she got arrested, and he's like, oh, she got pulled over for, uh, his legit reason to pull her over was for a taillight was out. Of course. over. Gets her out of the car, brings it to the back of the car. He goes, oh, can I search your vehicle? And she's being totally innocent. Oh, of course, officer, you could search my vehicle. And now this dumb, dumbass has a body cam on. So his body cam catches himself taking the drugs from his hand and then dropping it on the seat and then saying he recovered it. And he goes oh, back. Oh, what an idiot. Exactly. So now she, she goes through the whole court system. She, and they finally... Uh, her, her lawyers finally get her off and uh, they end up arresting this cop and they had to dismiss over a hundred of his cases. Nah, yeah, of course. So, and, it, and so the re, the re, again, what I was getting to, like I, I said I could never imagine doing something like that because there's so many legitimate arrests to be made. I'm like, why wouldn't he just make a legitimate arrest? Yeah. He, well, he was apparently, he wanted to fast track himself to narcotics. But I can't understand that. Arresting yes. innocent people, setting them, up, setting them up so he could go to narcotics. When he could have probably just waited another 10 or 15 minutes and found a legitimate person yeah. with drugs on him. Well, Gordine was telling me that they had a quota they had to meet of uh, arrests for drugs. And if they didn't make it at the end of the month, they would go down and they would arrest everybody getting off the city bus and use the same uh, paper of cocaine on all of them. Yep. All these innocent people. Then you got, I've, I've had people tell me they 
walk into court. You know, they got the security there. They got to empty their pockets. And out rolls a nice big round rock. A crack rolls across the, the table. And the, the security guy picks it up, looks at it, hands it back to the guy. says, next time be more careful. It's unreal, some of the things. And when, you know, once I saw getting into the research, it's just unbelievable some of the things these guys are doing. And they get away with it. Yeah, well, not all of them. The ones you find out about, they didn't get away with no, it. No, they didn't. They away with it for a little while, but eventually they get they get popped. Well, I bet those guys hate internal affairs. Yeah, and, and you see, that was the whole difference with me. When I got arrested, I finally gained respect for internal affairs because I realized the depth of the shit cops get into, and I had, I had a respect for them. As, as opposed to when I was out on the job, I was like, you know, I, I had no respect for them. They're, they're, they're investigating other cops. Why would they do that? But come to realize cops are criminals too, so. Yeah, some people become cops like uh, Michael says, so they can become criminals. Well, they already are criminals yeah. and see it as a step up in their career profile. To enhance their criminal career, they become a cop. I, I, should, I should get Michael on my show and interview him. Yeah, I don't know if he still does uh, interviews or not. He was uh, a great guest. He's a great guest. He's incredible stories, uh, but you know he didn't uh, he didn't suffer any penalties because he had the goods on his superiors, and so the deal was don't talk about us, and so we don't do nothing to you. Yeah, he just he just resigned. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, as I remember, you say I saw the writing on the wall that said get out while the getting's good. Uh, that's basically what Chicky did in our crew. He got out before before everyone got popped. Yeah, smart of him. It was yeah. good to have him on the show, too. I thought it was interesting is that his family didn't know until he came out and the book came out. And he had some explaining to do. He kept that secret. That, that was his. That was a, a family he got after everything went down. The original wife he had at the time that left him immediately. <laughs> That's compassion for you. You crook! Yeah. At least your beloved wife stuck with you, I guess. I Dory was the only one who stuck around. She had them all away. I was, I was blessed to be, to be Boy, with Boy, no kidding. No kidding. She was going to stay stand by her man no matter what. Yeah. I mean, there must have been something you could have done that would have pushed it over the edge, but but not that. You know, that's what we, uh, we started the book, as you well know, with her. But I'm glad she stuck with you. Yeah, me too. Me too. She, uh, she kept, kept me... Uh, a good man after that, you know. That's well, yeah, crazy. I think it's uh, that's admirable that once uh, you went through this, you didn't look for your first opportunity to become corrupt in some way again. Just the opposite. I stayed on the straight and narrow, be, you know, being the family man thing, and then got a different job. And <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it takes sometimes a lawyer to navigate through all that. So I had a great lawyer too, who really did the right thing by me. Yeah, you were a lucky fellow. It cost me an arm and a leg, but it, it, it was well worth it. Yeah, uh, I got no. I only got in trouble once. And it... That's another thing that uh, cops are being arrested for constantly now. DUIs. I mean, every, every week there's another DUI story out there. You know, and back in the old days, you just uh, pull your tin out and officers are okay. Have a nice day. Be on your way. Now they're they're arresting other officers for DUIs. So. I've also heard of situations, maybe we mentioned this in the book, or, or maybe not, I was just was in the forefront of my consciousness, of stopping a, uh, a driver of a vehicle, and he pulls out his badge, but he's from a different, uh, different town, different precinct or something, and they just don't give him any courtesy at all. Yeah, yeah some, 
sometimes some 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 cops are complete sticklers. They will go everything by the book, you know, dot every uh, dot every I, cross every T. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. Even even for me, when I was a cop, I wouldn't arrest anyone anyone on a DUI. Never mind of the cops. Other cops, you know, okay, have a nice day. Anyone else we came across that was uh, under the influence of narcotics or, or alcohol, we would just take their keys, put their keys in the trunk, lock the trunk, call them a cab, and send them home. Right. So. Yeah, that's the same the same result. You get them off the road. Right, that's the that's the goal is to get them off the road and get them home safe. Exactly. You don't have, you don't put them through the court system and you don't you know cost them ten thousand in in lawyer fees. Yeah, you know? and out here you lose your car for six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The car would probably be stolen after that. Oh yeah. No, no, no. And <laughs> assuming that the car isn't stolen. Uh, uh, you can have it t- taken home or impounded. They put a boot on it. You take it home, and you lose your car for a year. For six months, I mean. Six months. Six now, in my situation, uh, I had someone move my car for me. This was after I had eye surgery, and I couldn't drive. And this person, bless their heart, got into a one-car accident and didn't have the driver's license. And so my car gets impounded. Just as I had sent the title off to get the title changed, because I just, it was my mom's car originally, she'd passed away and I got it. Because I could not go in there with the proper paperwork to get my car. Right. It just sat there until it had, oh, the fines were higher than the value of the car and they took it from me. Yeah. yeah, then they take it and they bring it out to auction. They make their money. The system is just as corrupt as some of the cops. Yeah. It's amazing. Yep. It's one of those you can't get there from here. My uh, my daughter uh, had uh, uh, this truck, and they just got it. They actually went out a truck, but a uh, like a mobile home or whatever SUV. And the uh, they kept asking the uh, the cops, "How do we get this uh, registration thing taken care of very quickly? Because we you keep hassling us that it doesn't have tags on it, even though we're not driving it anywhere. It's just sitting here." But you see, we got to have, you know, the, the tags on it. What do we do? Is there a form or something? Well, we don't know. We don't know. The day that they took it away, they said, well, why did you get a form number such and such? <laughs> because you didn't tell us there was such a thing. Of course, of course not. Of course not. They used to do, they still have that thing here uh, in L.A. where they do these sweeps of the homeless areas. People think they're doing something nice. <laughs> no. <laughs> They go in, they take whatever they want. It's like oh, freebie oh, yeah. day. You got an iPad in that tent? It's mine now. And, but the thing that's really tragic is, and I don't know why the hell they do this, they throw away people's medications, including their heart medications, thyroid medications. They can be fatal. I think it's funny. I think there's some sort of, uh, it's almost like a caste system, you know, like the untouchables. I don't mean like Elliot Ness. In fact, Robert, I met Robert Stack, you know, who played Elliot Ness on TV. The Untouchables. Oh, yeah. He's a friend of my sister's. So I meet him and I go, Did you used to see me as Elliot Ness, didn't you? And I said, Yeah, I sure did. He goes, Let me tell you something. Elliot Ness was a pussy. Yes, he was. <laughs> the microphone. He had the one case, so, you know, with Capone. But he was basically unremarkable for the rest for his career. The one I think had a great career was Al Capone's brother, Two Gun Heart. Did you know about this, uh, Ken? No, tell me. Uh, Al Capone had a brother who was a revenuer, <laughs> who was a, a law enforcement. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. One, one, one went straight and one became a Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he used to dress like a cowboy. And he had two guns, dressed like a cowboy all the time, called him Two Gun Heart. And he had to deal with his brother, uh, Al Capone. But he'd never, like, crossed over to his territory and mess with him. Finally, at the end of his career, he actually wound up working for Al uh, in a nonviolent capacity, of course. But uh, I just found that fascinating when I read the, the book Two Gun Heart that Al Capone had a, a brother in law enforcement. Do you have any brothers? I have two brothers, yeah. What do they do? Uh, one's a. Uh One's a truck driver and one's a air conditioning technician. Oh, good. We could use him out here in California. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's pretty hot. He's just constantly busy. Same, same thing here in Florida. He's constantly busy. Now, what did they? What did your brothers think when you got popped with this whole big corruption? Thing? How did they react? Well, I, don't, I don't know exactly what they thought. They both stepped up and uh, they, they, you know, while I was in, inside, they both went into my house and took care of my kids and helped out Dory with everything, so well, my whole family stuck by me. Well, that was awful nice of them. Yeah, mother and father came and visited me. No. Yeah. Dory actually brought, brought, my son was like four years old at the time she brought him to, to visit me. I, I was like, please don't bring him. I don't want him to see this environment. But <laughs> see daddy in chains. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 want, he wanted to see you. He really missed you. So they want me to see him, so. Well, you did the documentary, The 7-5. We had a Q and A or something afterwards. Did you participate in that? Was Michael there? Yeah. Well, the Q and A, yeah. That we did uh, two Q and As. We had uh, one premiere in Manhattan and then another premiere in Brooklyn. We did Q and As after both of them. And uh, yeah, Dowd was there, and uh, your Q was there, and you know, Tilla Russell, what, the director, a couple of the producers, myself, Dory. We you know went up on stage and we. Uh, answered a whole bunch of questions from the audience. Uh, were you comfortable being there with Michael? We had, like I, I had said in one of the Q&As, we had, uh, we didn't see each other for over 20 years. And then uh, during the filming of the documentary, they uh, flew me into Brooklyn and took me to the 75 precinct and had me, they dropped me off in the back and had me walk up the block and around to the front doors and there he was. Ah. They wanted that job. That dramatic confrontation, but it, they, you know they didn't get it. We saw each other. We gave each other a big hug, and uh, you know, they <laughs> cut that out of the film because they didn't get the result they wanted. Yeah, they didn't get they, they wanted to see you guys out. punch it out, right? Exactly. Yeah. It reminds me of the. Yeah, I yeah, went we, to the uh, mob sit down in Las Vegas, and they had the mobsters and they had the guys who arrested them <laughs> on the same panel, and yeah, it was. Yeah. They got along famously. Hey, remember when I arrested you for murder? Yeah. I was wondering, uh, an educated guess, um, how many uh, officers do you think get away with it? What percentage get away with it? Yeah. Back, I, was, I don't know. There's got to be some officers that get away with it. If they're doing minor, minor stuff, they're going to get away for it. Anyone that got into the level of corruption, the depth that myself and my partner got into, you're eventually getting caught. There's no way you're not going to get caught because somebody along that line of, of either drug dealers or corrupt cops is going to get caught for something else and then everyone goes down. Yeah, and they ratchet out. out. This is, this this is, is why... A house of cards. Right. This is why the Pink Panthers, in our quotes, uh, is so successful because the individuals directly involved with each robbery end their careers with that robbery. Yeah, they're hired hands. They get paid, and they never do it again. Right. 
It's a nice deal because someone was saying, oh, there's 600 Pink Panthers, there's 700. And Bud says, no, there was six. (laughs) And four of them are dead. Yeah. You know, they plan them. They just get them all out. Then they just hire the actors to play the parts. Each person only knew their part. And all all the individuals don't really know each other. So that way, if somebody gets caught, there's no one else to tell on. That's what Mr. Peak, Mr. Blue, and... uh, Yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, Yeah. like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. You wonder who's the snitch in the Reservoir Dogs. One of my my favorite... One of my favorite spy movies, uh, Ronin. Uh, You you say the... the group things being gathered and and then they're what they're going to do and nobody knows who anybody is. You got to talk into the microphone for them. Uh, you? It was just really great. It's a really great uh, spy thriller. Yeah, Kaiser Soze. Where is he when we need him? That particular movie pissed me off so much. Why that movie pissed you off? Yeah, because I figured movie out, critic over I here. figured the whole thing out. Well, you before, figured it out before early. Chaz Palmieri did. Oh, I figured out who Kaiser Soze was. Everything we're seeing in flashback is BS. I well, you know, it was annoying. Well, I know it's annoying when you figure it all out. I got one you won't figure out because. Okay. <laughs> you ever see Gone but Not Forgotten or read the book? The I movie. The movie is with uh, what's his name? Yeah. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh no. Uh, the book is absolutely incredible. No problem uh, figuring out who the bad guy is, but that's not the main question. And that's what was so clever about the book, clever about the movie. It just took the conventions that we know of, you know, that are used in um, mystery and thriller fiction and just tweaked it <laughs> so that it pulled a fast one on you. It was like, oh, what, have you seen Clickbait on uh, TV on, on uh, Netflix? No. Get a chance to watch that one. I tried, being as I write crime novels, I figured I could solve that one in a hurry. And I identified the red herring <laughs> it was a real red herring too okay, okay let's get back to Ken's uh, show on uh, YouTube uh, give, give me another one give me another guest you've had that was stands out in your mind so yeah so YouTube if anyone's listening and they want to actually see these videos just go to YouTube put in my name Ken Urell K-E-N-E-U-R-E-L-L it should be the first thing that comes up will be my YouTube channel click on it there's about 30 YouTubes out there right now uh, anyway, so one of the most disturbing ones, I mean, they, like I said, there's been a couple of cops arrested for murder, but one of the ones I found most disturbing, and I don't remember exactly what department it was, was an on-duty police officer, and he was dating a female police officer who had broken up with him. And she was dating, and she had a new boyfriend. So while this officer was on duty, he went to his ex-girlfriend's house, who's a police officer. She was not there, but the new boyfriend was there. He grabs, and this is him in uniform, in a, in a patrol car, grabs him up in uniform, handcuffs him, puts him in the back of his patrol car, and executes him in the back of the patrol car. Oh, my God. Yeah. And obviously there's plenty of evidence. I mean, it's in the patrol car. So, so why is there blood in the dead body in your patrol car? With handcuffs on. All types of stuff. So he's gone. I mean, uh, I I, I don't know what this this dude could possibly have been thinking. He wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm a policeman. I could get away with this. I would, and they, in the, uh, 
the research I did, they didn't name his ex-girlfriend, who was the female police, so they didn't put her name out there. Yeah. But I would love to know what this female looks like. Since <laughs> she looks upset. Is what she looks her. like. She doesn't date anybody anymore. She got a dog, and that's it. Yeah. She's in way more dead ones. What was the other? Uh, oh, the uh, your old boyfriend killed your new boyfriend in in full police uniform in the back of his patrol car and shoots him. And, and it's amazing that some of the you know it's funny how some stories pick up the uh, the news wire and you know they it makes the rounds and everybody's aware of it. A story like that you would think would be out there. Oh yeah, nobody nobody heard of it, until, and, you know until I put it out on the YouTube channel. Wow. Now, what about like, like Freeway Ricky Ross, who I've had on the show, who was the big uh, cocaine dealer here in Los Angeles sure. getting, his, yeah. getting his cocaine from our wise federal government, <laughs> uh, which he didn't know until he read the expose. But he made a movie out of that, Kill the Messenger, about the uh, reporter that unraveled that whole story, how the, uh, the, the money was going to fund the Contras and all that stuff, leading to the yep. kind of hostage, whatever the whole thing was. But uh, first he was sentenced to life in prison. Then he was sentenced to be reduced to 25 years. And then when the Freeway Ricky Ross task force all went to prison for corruption, they let him out. <laughs> I mean, the task force that arrested him was worse than he was. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's like the, uh, the other one, too. With, uh, what was his name? White Boy Rick. It was all the same thing. He was a teenager and... Uh, the cops and the FBI turned him on to uh, selling drugs, and he went out there and became a drug dealer. And I think he's still in prison. Yeah, we got one that Frank and I are just finishing up a book on now about this uh, developmentally delayed uh, ADHD kid. Totally nonviolent, scared of anything that has violence to it. He's been serving 18 years in prison for a murder that Frank and I firmly believe he never did that he was set up to take the fall for it by some snitches to get uh, another gangster out of prison. Because for everyone they oh. got, they busted, they got points to get their uh, uncle out of prison. Kid's been in there 18 years. But he's coming up for parole here in February, so maybe he'll get out. Yeah. But that's, uh, I mean, the stories are just, you, the thing gets me about uh, snitches, confidential informants, as opposed to a cooperating, what's big difference? The uh, supposedly, according to the rules and regulations, at least the, the rules and regulations at the time you were uh, on the force, if you have a confidential informant, they're going to do something illegal. You have to know exactly what it is they're doing that's illegal, how long they're going to do it, why they're going to do it. It's almost like in writing. We give uh, Joe Blow here permission to, uh, you know, sell drugs or extort millions for this amount of time because the reward of doing so well will get an information makes it okay. And you can't let them get away with a larger crime in order to turn in a smaller crime. Yeah. They're out there committing murders. They, they, don't, they don't get a free pass because they're turning in a drug dealer. That's right. But we had these guys were out doing identity theft. On the level of corruption. These guys were doing a massive amounts of identity theft and getting arrested almost every month and selling drugs. At the same time, they were confidential informants. <laughs> Excuse me. You got to go. That is peculiar. <laughs> but apparently, it's not that unusual. The old salt was it? Uh, what was it, uh, uh, in Washington State, 
maybe it was Idaho, they would hire this guy to come into town where they didn't have a drug problem. And his job was to sell drugs and then provide the names of the people he sold the drugs to so they could be busted. And this guy got $150,000 to do this. And he was interviewed by the newspaper. He says, it's the greatest job in the world. I get all these free drugs I get to sell the drugs, and then he paid me 150 grand to get all my customers arrested. It's a wonderful career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I think they found something illegal about that. Uh, entrapment? Yeah, could be. Entrapment defense is fascinating. If you claim the entrapment defense, the government or whoever it is has to prove that it wasn't entrapment. Exactly. And if it is entrapment, it's kind of hard to prove that it isn't. Which is why, if it was entrapment, quite often uh, the defense will not raise the entrapment defense because they've had pressure put on them by some government body to not reveal who the CI is. Right, right, sure, yeah. I'll, I'll quote you on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we do need a quote from someone saying, yeah, that's the way it works. But, you uh, know what, what amazes me, too, sometimes? These, uh, these guys that are in prison that are, you know... Uh, come forward and say the uh, such and such defendant came and told me he murdered this person and this is how he did it. So, you know, so obviously they could get time off on, on their own sentences. Right. That multiple people confess to all, the same person all the time. Like, like this one, this one snitch, I forgot, I forgot what prison it was, but he had like 30 or 40 people that confessed crimes to him. Oh, well, he's so trusting. <laughs> he has it on his face. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And people believe this. I asked the attorney. He's in all these particular cells at just the right time when everybody confesses to him. Isn't it amazing? And then then he runs and tells the the prosecuting attorney, and that person goes away for for, forever. Yeah. The the attorney in San Francisco, who's famous for being uh, against confidential informants, they said, it's against the law to be a paid witness. What's the difference between a paid witness and a confidential informant? He said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot for coming. We're out of time. We love having you on the show. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back our special guest, Ken Urell, co-author of Betrayal in Blue and Once Upon a Time, New York's second most corrupt cop. Thank you, guys. I'm happy to be here for you. I'm glad you're still around. Now, when did it occur to you with a flash of brilliance because you have this wonderful, bankable, unfortunate reputation of being an expert on police corruption because you lived it in your younger days to do a, a YouTube a TV sh- show, more or less, where you interview other corrupt cops, <laughs> which I thought was a brilliant idea. This all started years back probably back in the late 90s when the internet was first becoming popular. I made a website. And yeah. I started collecting, you know, I put my own story up there, a brief version of it, which led to the documentary in our book, uh, Betrayal in Blue, the shocking memoir that rocked the NYPD. And I started collecting other police corruption stories. So after our first book came out, I started playing with the idea of writing a second book for, uh, you know, just yeah. a complete collection of, of corrupt stories over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And they keep coming out every week, too. Oh, yeah, I know. You can't stop them. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I contacted a, a co-author who has many projects going on. Right? Yeah. 
I can't imagine who that would be. <laughs> Could be our close personal friend, Frank Cigaretto Jr. Exactly. And we, we started working on a second book, and it, it sort of got sidetracked because he has so many projects going on. So I, I figured, why not start a YouTube channel? So I started a YouTube channel, and basically it's a collection of corrupt cop stories that have gone on through the country, present and past. And I also do a Q&A section at the end. Anyone writes in about the 7-5 documentary or our book, I answer those questions at the end. Do you get rude questions like, why are you such an ass and stuff like that? <laughs> there are many mean mean comments and tweets, yes. Yes. I've, I had a great one one time. One of the first radio interviews I ever did, one of the questions was, why don't you just admit you're in league with the devil and get it over with? <laughs> I might just make one YouTube video and read everybody's mean tweets and comments. <laughs> so, uh, can tell us about some of the other people who've been on your show and what their crimes of, of corruption were. Okay, what's the first one that pops into your head? The first uh, gentleman I interviewed was, a, he was a Boston cop. And this is going back probably, I don't know, 20 episodes ago. He was the first, first interview I did. He was actually introduced the corruption and he turned it down so uh what happened was he's Boston cop and he was out on patrol he pulled over a gentleman for uh traffic violations and when he was going up to uh collect his license and insurance and registration and all that good stuff he offered him a 500 dollars bribe oh. and as as a good cop at the time and this is going back to the 80s he brought him in for a bribery arrest so he goes in for the bribery arrest, and when he gets into the precinct, his desk sergeant looks at him and sends him, before he gets to process the arrest, he sends him back out on patrol to check some noise complaint. So he comes back from the noise complaint, his bribery arrest is gone. The so is the 500 is bucks. <laughs> Everything is gone. The desk sergeant apparently let, it, let it, everything go, and... Uh, the money disappeared. I don't know if the desk sergeant kept it. He didn't know if the desk sergeant kept it, but his arrest was gone. It was uh, it was completely let go. Evaporated, he yeah. Up, he, took, he took it a step further. He went to Internal Affairs and told Internal Affairs what happened because he's now trying to protect himself. And in turn, the Internal Affairs supervisor said to him, you're not a real Boston cop if you can't take a bribe. Oh, that should be printed on the side of the cars. <laughs> so at, at, at that point, like I have said in the past, when you're suspected of, you know, talking out against other cops, becoming a rat, a snitch, or anything like that, all the bad things that we talked about started happening to him. Flat tires on his car, everybody's fucking up with his locker, nobody would talk to him. He was completely ostracized. Whoa. So what he did was he transferred himself to a smaller department, and of course his reputation followed him. He was completely isolated there, and he went to midnights, and he worked midnights for 20 years, studied up to become a lawyer, and he's now a defense lawyer. Good for him. That's a great yeah, story. So he, he made the best of it. I mean, he had a rough time in his career for 20 years, you know, working completely isolated for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, that's like a jail sentence almost. Yeah. So. All because he wanted to do the right thing. So that tells you why, you know, cops come to that crossroads at a time, like I did, when the money was put in my hand. You don't know what to do, really. 
Yeah, the same thing happens in, of all things, real estate. Uh, the guy who started the uh, Desert Lifeline here in California, which is the great firefighter thing for the, you know, and search, and, search and rescue, he was working in a real yep. estate company, and he does a deal, and someone delivers a paper bag with about 10 grand in it. And he doesn't know what to, what to do. <laughs> what the hell is this? He takes it to his supervisor, and the supervisor on his way out of the office puts about 25% of it on his desk. Yeah. Kickbacks, you know? Yeah, and, that's like the the old school in the 60s and 70s. The roll call officer had an open, uh, open drawer policy. You, you To get a special foot post where you could collect money from shopkeepers and things like that, So you go to roll call, and he, his drew was basically he left his drawer open for you to drop money in there, so he would give you that particular foot post or sector where you could collect more money from the public. Yeah, there was one of the, it's in, it's in our book, one of the uh, chiefs of police going back a long time, you know, back early 1900s or whatever, said, if you can't make money from payoffs on the street, you don't deserve to be in the NYPD. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, they got mad about it. One other guy got mad. Said, if anyone's going to get payoffs around here, it's going to be me. <laughs> it, so, it was definitely a culture that, that you know, that, uh, well, it reminds me of a. Uh, and, and go ahead. It went along for many years, and then, uh, you know, every time I think it's going to stop with the, you know body cams and and dash cams, and, and now everybody has a cell phone, it just it still doesn't stop. You just had in Columbus, Ohio, this past week, two officers were arrested for grabbing six six kilos of fentanyl. Ooh. So, yeah, that's going to be my next uh, episode on YouTube. I'll be talking about that one. Boy, that's enough to kill everybody in that town, practically. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the tragic thing about fentanyl, because for people who need it, it's an excellent medication. It comes in a patch for chronic pain sufferers. It gradually releases this opioid into their systems for cancer patients and people who have been in horrifying accidents where they're just in excruciating pain. It's a wonderful medical achievement. But to open up the the patch and take the stuff out, you're going to be dead in a hurry. Oh yeah, it takes a little, a little bit, a couple of little, little, little grains of it, and you could OD on that. So yeah, it's very, very strong narcotic. Didn't I just uh, bust a huge uh, drug ring here in California, where they had uh, they had uh, synthetic uh, synthetic opioid that two milligrams would kill ten people. Oh, that's wonderful. Yep, absolutely, yep. Yeah, they had the synthetic uh, opioid, and the other group had the uh, the cocaine. The thing is, the stupid thing is, is they'll put the uh, fentanyl in cocaine, which is yeah. insane. That's what they were well, doing. They'll yep. put it in, in speed. And also, he- also heroin. They, they're cutting everything with fentanyl now. Well, that's where they can kill more people. It doesn't sound like they were our friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... If, if I were a dealer, the last thing I'd do is kill my, my customers. <laughs> exactly. That was a, another story I had. It was, a, it was a Long Island Suffolk County cop in New York, and he was uh, selling Oxycontins. He was getting them from one gentleman who was cutting it with fentanyl, and this cop who is dealing this on the side didn't know it, and one of his customers OD'd on it, and they backtracked, you know, how this guy got the oxy that was cut with fentanyl. They found the cop. They found the dealer. Not only is he arrested for drug dealing, he's arrested for, you know, uh, manslaughter. Yeah. So. I watched the uh, TV show on the autopsy 
of uh, Tom Petty. And that's what killed him. Uh, he was taking, you know, he had a horrible uh, hip injury or whatever, and a lot of pain, and uh, he got what he thought was an oxycodone or oxycodone from a friend of his, but it was counterfeit. Yep. And uh, it wasn't real. It was fed five different kinds of fentanyl and a pill, and uh, that's what killed him. So the moral of the story is, get your drugs from an authorized pharmacist. Uh, yeah. Get legit. Yeah, too legit to quit. <laughs> so... Earl, what? do you remember the guest we had? I think it was Chili Pimpin in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, that's Michael Gordine, the third most corrupt cop in the NYPD. Well, his <laughs> uh, his story is slightly different than the, what I'm hearing as, as, in air quotes, normal. He joined the NYPD, or the... the, the microphone, talking to the microphone. What was the uh, New Jersey? He joined the police specifically to enhance his criminal empire. Well, he didn't have much of an empire, which is a chili pippin in Atlantic City. But he wanted to... That, that was the thing, is he had an uncle or something who was a cop who was bragging about all the great stuff he got during the uh, riots. <laughs> and so he became a cop so he could be corrupt. Uh, exactly. Well, yeah. He was, he was already in, in that criminal field, so he says, well, why not enhance it by joining the NYPD? That's right. right. It's a step up yeah. in the criminal, <laughs> criminal world. Got a big gang here. You know, as as, uh, Lee Goldberg, my nephew, pointed out uh, in one of these uh, movies where you get a super criminal organization that's super secret, and they have a logo, and they have it on the side of their cars, and on their planes, the secret organization has has branded items. We we don't do that (laughs) in chaos. uh, That's kind of like the NYPD is the branded gang. But, you know, just like the NYPD or the LAPD, you do have some really great cops. I have encountered some wonderful cops. I mean, really serve, protect, self-sacrificial, honest as can be. And it drives them crazy that they've got all these other guys working with them that they know are crooked as can be. Yeah, um, 99% of the cops out there are, you know, are, are totally legit, do the right thing, you know. Unfortunately, there's a... Uh there's a lot of ways to uh, let that greed seep in, and once 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 that greed takes over, you know you're completely lost. So. What amazed me is that in your particular situation, uh, your superiors uh, knew what was going on, but they let it slide because they didn't want another scandal. Exactly right. Now there was a scandal a couple of months prior, and. Uh, they were aware of what was going on in my precinct, and instead of shutting it down, they broke everybody up, and it basically spread the corruption. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, operating on cancer cells, you know? Yeah. Spreads them around. Okay, so what other cool things have you had on your program? Must come to mind, you've done so many of them. Who have you as had recently? As, as far as the corrupt cops, I, I, it's like really hard to get corrupt. Cops. Say, hey, why don't you come on and tell us how bad you are? Speak <laughs> about their story. Yeah, they uh, they don't they don't they don't like to come on and tell their own story. So I'm I'm the one I'm go out there and I'm discussing the story on on my you know and giving my opinion on it. That was uh, the other officer I had on was a New Jersey state state trooper, and um, he wasn't cor- he had nothing with corruption. He was more or less talking about the morale of the job and, and how uh, how it's down, you know, ever since uh, 
the defund the police came out and things like that. And then we talked about uh, the current story of that day when he came on that week was uh, there were correction officers who were having sex with inmates. Oh, yeah. We had that here, too. Had that here hey, at, hey, uh, hey, Burrow, you yeah. promised that you would never disclose that. Did I never disclose that about yes, you? About okay. <laughs> but that was with these is the, uh, this girl got pregnant in the slammer. Yeah, how'd that? Yeah, how'd that? Immaculate Conception, Joe Immaculate from Precinct Number Whatever was poking her. And uh, that wasn't unusual, unfortunately. Became a bit of a scandal. But she wasn't the first or the only. They had the same problem in mental institutions, a medical lake, which is sounds really healthy. A medical yeah, lake. The orderlies, the orderlies will grab the uh, patients and, you know. Yeah, they called that bush therapy. against their will. Yeah, there was a big scandal on that too. But these scandals come and go, and everyone forgets about it. And then yeah, it's well, another a new one comes along and takes its place. That's why. Yeah. So what, I don't what's know. actually I have a is sort of a disturbing trend. I've I've got almost thirty YouTube videos right now, and almost every week there's more and more stories of cops having sex with underage minors, which is, like, really disturbing. Yeah, those underage minors are the worst kind. Well, I, mean, uh, well, yeah. I saw that in The Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. Well, wasn't, exactly. that, uh, wasn't that part of the Onion Field? I didn't see no, that. No, that was another Wamba book. Where they were, uh, where the, the um, Explorer Scout well, Captain's okay. for Captain Spaulding, the African Explorer. I'm trying to remember which one. One who shot an elephant in his pajamas? That was, was that like running rampant, or was it just like one cop doing it, or was it a big deal? No, it's, not, it's like every week there's another story of another cop with, another, with an under, underage girl. I, 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 I stopped telling the stories because there's so many of them. One wow. Guy was, was, one guy was way out. He's got, he got like a... A hundred year sentence. I mean, they. Whoa! Got, uh, Did he get a year off for good behavior? So he had to do ninety nine. Oh, he he was. Uh, what happened was they they caught him with um, on the computer at the precinct. The, the precinct computer. They found um, disturbing images, child porn, pornography, things like that, and they traced it back to him. So they served a warrant on his home. They grabbed his laptop, his you know, his desktop, his cell phones, all that stuff. He had over two hundred child porn photos and videos on his laptop. And he had a video of himself having sex with a small dog. Oh my god. The SPCA so was on his ass for that. Slammed, they slammed him for with a hundred years. Oh no kidding. He'll, he'll never see daylight again. Wow, that's severe. Hey, remember the one in uh, Philadelphia where they had to overturn a thousand convictions? They had these five cops who were advancing their career by planting evidence on people. And uh, they got popped this is several years ago. Uh, some guy, like a state senator or something, uh, stopped and asked these cops for directions because he was lost. And they, they grabbed him, threw him across the hood of the car. Tried to plant evidence on him, and it was the wrong guy because he raised hell. And one of the guys uh, of the five had had enough, and he confessed and told the whole story that these guys had been working together for five years, uh, framing people for crimes to advance their careers. They had to let over a thousand people 
There's, there's just so many stories to tell. There was, it's been there's multiple stories I've done of cops planting planting evidence to make an arrest, things like that. Which is as as corrupt as I was, I can't understand ever doing that. I mean, why this this you could, especially back in my time in the '80s in the seven five precinct in Brooklyn, you could blink your eyes and you make a legitimate arrest. There was always an arrest to be made. This last story I did was uh, a Florida sheriff deputy, and he was taking drugs, pulling over people, taking drugs, and then saying he found it in their car and going back and arresting them. So he had done it to multiple, multiple people. And finally, I, I guess it was just had suspect, internal affairs had suspected him because they were investigating him. And there was a woman who finally, she got arrested, and he's like, oh, she got pulled over for... Uh, his legit reason to pull her over was for a taillight was out. Oh, of course. Her over, gets her out of the car, brings it to the back of the car. He goes, oh, can I search your vehicle? And she's being totally innocent. Oh, of course, officer. You could search my vehicle. And now this dumb, dumbass has a body cam on. So his body cam catches himself taking the drugs from his hand and then dropping it on the seat and then saying he recovered it. And he goes oh, back. Oh, God, what an idiot. Exactly. So now... She she goes through the whole court system, she, and they finally uh, her, her lawyers finally get her off, and uh, they end up arresting this cop, and they had to dismiss over a hundred of his cases. Nah, yeah, of course. So, and, it, and so the re, the re, again, what I was getting to, like I I said, I could never imagine doing something like that because there's so many legitimate arrests to be made. I'm like, why wouldn't he just make a legitimate arrest? Yeah, he well, he was apparently. He wanted to fast-track himself to narcotics. But I can't understand that. Yes. Arresting innocent people, setting them, up, setting them up so he could go to narcotics. When he could have probably just waited another 10 or 15 minutes and found a legitimate person yeah. with drugs on him. Well, Gordine was telling me that they had a quota they had to meet of uh, arrests for drugs. And if they didn't make it at the end of the month, they would go down and they would arrest everybody getting off the city bus and use the same uh, paper of cocaine on all of them. Yep. All these innocent people. Then you got, I've, I've had people tell me they walk into court, you know, they got the security there, they got to empty their pockets, and out rolls a nice big round rock, a crack rolls across the, the table, and the, the security guy picks it up, looks at it, hands it back to the guy, says, next time be more careful. It, it's unreal, some of the things. And when, you know, once I start getting into the research, it's just unbelievable some of the things these guys are doing. And they get away with it. It's, yeah, well, not all of them. The ones you find out about, they didn't get away with no, it. No, they didn't. They got away with it for a little while, but eventually they get they get popped. Well, I bet those guys hate internal affairs. Yeah, and you see, that was the whole difference with me. When I got arrested, I finally gained respect for internal affairs because I realized the depth of the shit cops get into, and I had I had a respect for them. As, as opposed to when I was out on the job, I was like, you know, I, I had no respect for them. They're, they're, they're investigating other cops. Why would they do that? But... Come to realize, cops are criminals too. So, yeah, and some people become cops like uh, Michael says, so they can become criminals, but they already are criminals yeah. and see it as a step up in their career profile. To enhance their criminal career, they become a cop. I, I should, I should get Michael on my show and interview him. Yeah, I don't know if he still does uh, interviews or not. He was uh, a great guest. He's a great guest. He's got incredible stories, uh, but you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't suffer any penalties because. <laughs> 
he had the goods on his superiors. And so the deal was, don't talk about us or we don't do nothing to you. Yeah. He just, he just resigned, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, as I remember... You say, I saw the writing on the wall that said, get out while the getting's good. That's, that's basically what Chicky did in our crew. He got out before before everyone got popped. Yeah, smart of him. It was yeah. good to have him on the show, too. I thought it was interesting is that his family didn't know until he came out and the book came out. And he had some explaining to do. He kept that secret. That, that was his. That was a, a family he got after everything went down. The original wife he had at the time that left him immediately. <laughs> That's compassion for you. You crook! Yeah. At least your beloved wife stuck with you. I guess. I was say, Dory, Dory was the only one who stuck around. She had them all the way. I was, I was blessed to be, to be Boy, with Boy, no kidding. No kidding. She was going to stay stand by her man no matter what. Yeah. I mean, there must have been something you could have done that would have pushed it over the edge, but but not that. So that's why we uh, we started the book, as you well know, with her. But I'm glad she stuck with you. Yeah, me too. Me too. She uh, she kept kept me uh, a good man after that, you know. Kept well, yeah, I think it's uh, that's admirable that once uh, you went through this, you didn't look for your first opportunity to become corrupt in some way again. Just the opposite. I stayed on the straight and narrow, you know, being the family man thing, and then got a different job and. Yeah, that's that's what it takes sometimes a lawyer to navigate through all that. So I had a great lawyer too, who really did the right thing by me. Yeah, you were a lucky fella. It cost me an arm and a leg, but it, it, it was well worth it. Yeah, uh, I got in, I only got in trouble once. And that's another thing that uh, cops are being arrested for constantly now. DUIs. I mean, every, every week there's another DUI story out there. You know, and back in the old days, you just. Uh, pull your tin out, and the officer says, okay, have a nice day, be on your way. Now they're, they're arresting other officers for DUIs. So, I've also heard of situations, maybe we mentioned this in the book, or, or maybe not, I just was in the forefront of my consciousness, of stopping a, uh, a driver of a vehicle, and he pulls out his badge, but he's from a different, uh, different town, different precinct or something, and they just don't give him any courtesy at all. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes some 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 cops are complete sticklers. They will go everything by the book, you know, dot every uh, dot every i, cross every t. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. Even even for me, when I was a cop, I wouldn't arrest anyone anyone on a DUI. Never mind other cops. Other cops, you know, okay, have a nice day. Anyone else we came across that was uh, under the influence of narcotics or, or alcohol, we would just take their keys. Put their keys in the trunk, lock the trunk, call them a cab, and send them home. Right. So yeah, that's the same the same result. You get them off the road. Right. That's the that's the goal is to get them off the road and get them home safe. Exactly. You don't you don't put them through the court system and you don't you know cost them ten thousand in in lawyer fees. Yeah. And, uh, and out here, you lose your car for six months. Yeah. 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 That's, the car would probably be stolen after that. Oh yeah. No. 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 And <laughs> assuming that the car isn't stolen. Uh, uh, you can have it t taken home or impounded. They put a boot on it. You take it home, and you lose your car for a year. For six months, I mean. Six months. Six now, months. in my situation, uh, I had someone move my car for me. This was after I had eye surgery, and I couldn't drive. And this person, bless their heart, got into a one-car accident and didn't have the driver's license. And so my car gets impounded. 
just as I had set the title off to get the title changed, because I just, it was my mom's cover, and then she'd passed away, and I got it. Because I could not go in there with the proper paperwork to get my car. Right. It just sat there until it had, over, the fines were higher than the value of the car, and they took it from me. Yeah. Yeah, then they take it and they bring it out to auction. They make their money. The system is just as corrupt as some of the cops. Yeah. It's amazing. Yep. It's one of those you can't get there from here. My uh, my daughter uh, had uh, uh, this truck, and they just got it. They actually went on a truck, but a, uh, like a mobile home or whatever. SUV. And the, uh, they kept asking the, uh, the cops, how do we get this... Uh, registration thing taken care of very quickly because we you keep hassling us that it doesn't have tags on it even though we're not driving it anywhere it's just sitting here but you see we got to have you know the the tags on it what do we do is there a form or something well we don't know we don't know the day that they took it away they said well why did you get a form number such and such <laughs> because you didn't tell us there was such a thing of course of course not of course not they used to do, they still have that thing here uh, in L.A. where they do these sweeps of the homeless areas. People think they're doing something nice. <laughs> no. <laughs> they go in, they take whatever they want. It's like oh, freebie oh, yeah. day. You got an iPad in that tent? It's mine now. And, but the thing that's really tragic is, and I don't know why the hell they do this, they throw away people's medications, including their heart medications, thyroid medications. They can be fatal. I think it's funny. I think there's some sort of, uh, it's almost like a caste system, you know, like the Untouchables. I don't mean like Elliot Ness. In fact, Robert, I met Robert Stack, you know, who played Elliot Ness on TV, the Untouchables. Oh, yeah. He was a friend of my sister's. So I meet him and I go, did you used to see me as Elliot Ness, did you? And I said, yeah, I sure did. He goes, let me tell you something. Elliot Ness was a pussy. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> the microphone. He had the one case, so, you know, with Capone. But he was basically unremarkable for the rest for his career. The one I think had a great career was Al Capone's brother, Two Gun Hart. Did you know about this, uh, Ken? No, tell me. Uh, Al Capone had a brother who was a revenuer, <laughs> who was a, a law enforcement. Oh yeah, yeah. One 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 went straight, and one became a yeah. Yeah, yeah. He used to dress like a cowboy, and he had two guns, dressed like a cowboy all the time. He called him Two Gun Hart, and he had to deal with his brother. Uh, Al Capone, but he'd never like cross over to his territory and mess with him. Finally, at the end of his career, he actually wound up working for Al uh, in a nonviolent capacity, of course. But uh, I just found that fascinating when I read the, the book, Too Good Heart, that Al Capone had a, a brother in law enforcement. Do you have any brothers? I have two brothers, yeah. What do they do? Uh, one's, a, one's a truck driver and one's an air conditioning technician. Oh, good. We could use him out here in California. <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah. He's pretty hot. He's just constantly busy. Same, same thing here in Florida. He's constantly busy. Now, what did they? What did your brothers think when you got popped with this whole big corruption? How did they react? Well, they, I, don't, I don't know exactly what they thought. They both stepped up and uh, they, they, you know, while I was in, inside, they both went into my house and took care of my kids and helped out Dory with everything. So well, my whole family stuck by me. Well, that was awful nice of them. Yeah, mother and father came and visited me. No. Yeah. Dory actually brought, well, my son was like four years old at the time she brought him to, to visit me. I, I was like, please don't bring him. I don't want him to see this environment. <laughs> see, see, daddy in chains. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 want, 
He wanted to see you. He really missed you. So I didn't want me to see him. So when you did the documentary, the Seven Five, they had a Q and A or something afterwards. Did you participate then? Was Michael there? Yeah. The Q and A, yeah, that we did uh, two Q and As. We had uh, one premiere in Manhattan and then another premiere in Brooklyn. We did Q and As after both of them, and uh, yeah, Bowd was there, and uh, your Q was there, and you know, Phil Russell, the director, a couple of the producers, myself, Dory. We you know went up on stage and we uh, answered a whole bunch of questions from the audience. Uh, were you comfortable being there with Michael? We had like I, I had said in one of the Q and As, we had. Uh, we didn't see each other for over 20 years. And then uh, during the filming of the documentary, they uh, flew me into Brooklyn and took me to the 7-5 precinct and had me, they dropped me off in the back and had me walk up the block and around to the front doors and there he was. Ah. They that, that dramatic confrontation, but it, they, you know they didn't get it. We saw each other, we gave each other a big hug and, uh, you know, Cut that out of the film because they didn't get the result they wanted. Yeah, they didn't get. They, yeah, they to wanted to see you guys out. punch it out, right? Exactly. Yeah. Reminds me of the. Yeah, I yeah, went we, to the uh, mob sit down in Las Vegas, and they had the mobsters and they had the guys who arrested them <laughs> on the same panel, and it yeah, was. Yeah. They got along famously. Hey, remember when I arrested you for murder? Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, uh, an educated guess, um, how many. Uh, officers, do you think get away with it? What percentage get away with it? Yeah, back. I was. I don't know. There's got to be some officers that get away with. It. If they're doing minor, minor stuff, they're going to get away for it. Anyone that got into the level of corruption, the depth that myself and my partner got into, you're eventually getting caught. There's no way you're not going to get caught because somebody along that line of of either drug dealers or corrupt cops is going to get caught for something else and then everyone goes down. Yeah, and they ratchet out. This is, this is why... A house of cards. Right. This is why the Pink Panthers, in air quotes, uh, is so successful. Because the individuals directly involved with each robbery end their careers with that robbery. Yeah, they're hired hands. They get paid and they never do it again. Right. Which is a okay. nice deal, because someone was saying, oh, there's 600 Pink Panthers, there's 700 in punches. No, there was six. <laughs> and four of them are dead. Yeah. You know, they plan them, they just get them all out, then they just hire the actors to you know, play the parts. Each person only knew their part. And all, all, all the individuals don't really know each other, so that way, if somebody gets caught, there's no one... That to tell on. That's what right. Mr. Peak, Mr. Blue, and... Uh, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. You wonder, who's the snitch in the Reservoir Dogs? One of my, uh, one of my favorite... Cop. One of my favorite spy movies, uh, Ronin. Uh, they, they, you, you see the, uh, the group being, being gathered and, and then they're, what they're going to do and nobody knows anybody is. you got to talk into the microphone for him to uh, hear It was just really great. It's a really great uh, spy thriller. Yeah, Kaiser Soze, where is he when we need him? That particular movie pissed me off so much. Why that movie pissed you off? Yeah, because I, I figured the whole thing out well, you before, it out before Chaz Palmieri did. Oh. I figured out who Kaiser Soze was. Everything we're seeing in flashback is BS. I well, figured you know, the whole thing out. 
annoying. Well, I know it's annoying when you figure it all out. I got one you won't figure out because... Okay. You ever see Gone But Not Forgotten or read the book? The, movie, the movie is with, uh, what's his name? Yeah. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, no. Uh, the book is absolutely incredible. No problem uh, figuring out who the bad guy is, but that's not the main question. And that's what was so clever about the book, clever about the movie. It just took the conventions that we know of, you know, that are used in the um, mystery and thriller fiction and just tweaked it <laughs> so that it pulled a fast one on you. It was like, oh, what, have you seen clickbait on uh, TV on, on uh, Netflix? No. Get a chance to watch that one. I tried, being as I write crime novels, I figured I could solve that one in a hurry. And I identified the red herring. <laughs> it was a real red herring, too. Okay, okay let's get back to Ken's uh, show on uh, YouTube. Uh, give, give me another one. Give me another guess you've had that was stands out in your mind. So, yeah, so YouTube, if anyone's listening and they want to actually see these videos, just go to YouTube, put in my name, Ken Urell, K-E-N-E-U-R-E-L-L. It should be the first thing that comes up will be my YouTube channel. Click on it. There's about 30 YouTubes out there right now. Uh, anyway, so one of the most disturbing ones, I mean, like I said, there's been a couple of cops arrested for murder, but one of the ones I found most disturbing, I don't remember exactly what department it was, was an on-duty police officer and he was dating a female police officer who had broken up with him. And she was dating, and she had a new boyfriend. So while this officer was on duty, he went to his ex-girlfriend's house, who was a police officer. She was not there, but the new boyfriend was there. He grabs, and this is him in uniform, in a, in a patrol car, grabs him up in uniform, handcuffs him, puts him in the back of his patrol car, and executes him in the back of the patrol car. Oh, my God. Yeah, and obviously there's plenty of evidence. I mean, it's in the patrol car. So, so why is there blood in the dead body in your patrol car? <laughs> With handcuffs on. Matter, all, all types of stuff. So he, he's gone. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know what this, this dude could possibly have been thinking. He wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm a policeman. I could get away with this. I would, and they... In the uh, the research I did, they didn't name his ex-girlfriend, who was the female police, so they didn't put her name out there. Yeah. But I would love to know what this female looks like. <laughs> she looks upset, is what she looks her. like. She doesn't date anybody anymore. She got a dog, and that's it. Yeah. She's way more dead ones. What was the other? Uh, oh, the uh, your old boyfriend kills your new boyfriend in, in full police uniform in the back of his patrol car. And shoots him. And it's amazing that some of the, you know, it's funny how some stories pick up the uh, the news wire and, you know, they it makes the rounds and everybody's aware of it. A story like that you would think would be out there. Oh, yeah. Nobody nobody heard of it, until, you know, until I put it out on the YouTube channel. Wow. Now, what about, like, like Freeway Ricky Ross, who I've had on the show, who was the big uh, cocaine dealer here in Los Angeles sure. getting his... yeah getting his cocaine from our wise federal government, <laughs> uh, which he didn't know until he read the expose. They made a movie out of that, Kill the Messenger, about the uh, reporter that unraveled that whole story, how the, uh, the the money was going to fund the Contras and all that stuff, leading to the yep. run, uh, hostage, whatever the whole thing was. But 
first he was sentenced to life in prison. Then he was sentenced to be reduced to 25 years. And then when the Freeway Ricky Ross task force all went to prison for corruption, they let him out. <laughs> I mean, the task force that arrested him was worse than he was. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's like the, uh, the other one, too. With, uh, what was his name? White Boy Rick. It was all the same thing. He was a teenager, and uh, the cops and the FBI turned him on to uh, selling drugs, and he went out there and became a drug dealer. And I think he's still in prison. Yeah, we got one that Frank and I are just finishing up a book on now about this uh, developmentally delayed uh, ADHD kid. Totally nonviolent, scared of anything that has violence to it. He's been serving 18 years in prison for a murder that Frank and I firmly believe he never did. That he was set up to take the fall for it by some snitches to get uh, another gangster out of prison. Because for everyone, they they busted... He got points to get their uh, uncle out of prison. Kid's been in there 18 years. But he's coming up for parole here in February, so maybe he'll get out. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the stories are just... Uh, you, the thing gets me about uh, snitches, confidential informants, as opposed to a cooperating, a big difference. The uh, Supposedly, according to the rules and regulations, at least the, the rules and regulations at the time you were uh, on the force, if you have a confidential informant, they're going to do something illegal. You have to know exactly what it is they're doing that's illegal, how long they're going to do it, why they're going to do it. It's almost like in writing. We give uh, Joe Blow here permission to, uh, you know, sell drugs or extort millions for this amount of time because the reward of doing so well will get an information makes it okay. And you can't let them get away with a larger crime in order to turn in a smaller crime. Yeah. They're out there committing murders. They they don't they don't get a free pass because they're turning in a drug dealer. That's right. But so we I'm had these guys were out doing identity on, theft. On the level of corruption. These guys were doing a massive amounts of identity theft and getting arrested almost every month and selling drugs. At the same time they were confidential informants. <laughs> Excuse me. You got to go. That is peculiar. <laughs> but apparently, it's not that unusual. The old salt was at what uh, was uh, in Washington State, or maybe it was Idaho. They would hire this guy to come into town where they didn't have a drug problem, and his job was to sell drugs, and then provide the names of the people he sold the drugs to, so they could be busted. And this guy got $150,000 to do this. And he was interviewed by the newspaper. He says, it's the greatest job in the world. I get all these free drugs. And I get to sell the drugs. And then he paid me fifty grand to get all my customers arrested. It's a wonderful career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I think they found something illegal about that. Entrapment? Uh, yeah, could be. Entrapment defense is fascinating. If you claim the entrapment defense, the government or whoever it is has to prove that it wasn't entrapment. Exactly. And if it is entrapment, it's kind of hard to prove that it isn't. Which is why, if it was entrapment, quite often uh, the defense will not raise the entrapment defense because they've had pressure put on them by some government body to not reveal who the CI is. Right, right, sure, yeah. I'll, I'll quote you on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we do need a quote from someone saying, yeah, that's the way it works. But, you uh, know what, what amazes me, too, sometimes? These, uh, 
these guys that are in prison that are, you know, uh, come forward and say the uh, such and such defendant came and told me he murdered this person and this is how he did it. So, you know, so obviously they could get time off on, on their own sentences. Right. That multiple people confess to all, the same person all the time. Like, like there's one, there's one snitch. I forgot, I forgot what prison it was, but he had like 30 or 40 people that confessed crimes to him. Oh, well, he's so trusting. <laughs> he has it on his face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And people believe this. I asked the attorney. He's in all these particular cells at just the right time when everybody confesses to him. Isn't it amazing? He, and, then, and then he runs and tells the uh, the prosecuting attorney, and that person goes away for for forever. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the attorney in San Francisco who's a famous for being uh, against confidential informants, I said, it's against the law to be a paid witness. What's the difference between a paid witness and a confidential informant? He said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot for coming. We're out of time. We love having you on the show.